0: You know, I love to see that we have a, a lot of depth on the bench of the worship team, too, so appreciate seeing you guys. Uh, John, for giving the, the uh, creed. And John, just for your testimony, too, of, of what you're doing, what's going on, uh, and I want to commend you for, uh, for leaving this church and being committed to finding a new church in Visalia. There are a lot of good churches down there. None as good as this one, all right, so just want you to know. But I appreciate the example you've given, and if you're watching online with us, and you're not in the Fresno area, I encourage you to find a church that locally, because it's important to be a part of a body of believers that love each other, that care for each other, that grow together and minister together. So, just that encouragement as we get going. So, all right, last week, I asked this question: I asked if anybody remembered what the uh, who won the Oscar, what movie won Best Picture last year, and nobody knew. At least nobody that would admit it all right so now i have another question for you does anybody know what won the best picture in 1981? i know some of you weren't born at that time just don't even talk so what star wars, star wars. Uh, i don't know if it ever i don't think it won best picture did it but jaws no it was the movie chariots of fire and an amazing movie if you don't know the story behind chariots of fire it's uh the story of eric little who was born in china in 1902 he was a Scottish missionary, Presbyterian missionary to um, to China. Um, his parents were, and he went back to China later. But when he was back in Scotland to do his studies, he wound up uh, going to the Olympics, and he was the first Scottish athlete to win an Olympic medal ever. Uh, he won um, the uh, uh, the uh, 100 meter race in 1924 in the uh, in the Paris Olympics. Um, We qualified to win, sorry, qualified to win the 100 meter. And here's why his story was interesting, you may know the story if you saw the movie, that uh, as he was getting ready for the Paris Olympics, as they were doing the qualifying trials, the qualifying trial for the 100 meter race was on Sunday. And um, he said, you know, he wasn't gonna run on Sunday. Now, this is not a, a, a message about the Sabbath day or anything like that at this point, but back in that day in particular, they were very particular about it, and I remember in the line of the movie was, he said to these people, Sunday's not a day for playing football. All right, that's my terrible Scottish accent, right? so if any of you have Scottish heritage, forgive me, okay? That's, my, that's my, the, the best I can come up with. But, um, and so instead, he, he bowed out of the race, he was picked to be the winner for that. He bowed out of the race and instead qualified for the 400-meter, which it's a very different race. The 400-meter is the longest race that you run as an all-out sprint, but it takes a lot more energy. To run the 400 than the 100, he qualified and he won, and so that was an amazing story. That, but but there's something you may have forgotten, and we've got a little clip here from the movie um, that I want to show you about what happened when he was a, a couple of years earlier. He was running a race, a, a, one, a, a I think it was another 400 meter race actually, that he was trying to run at that point, and he uh, and he fell down. So, let's take a look at this clip, it's one minute. Left. And that's him falling down right there. Got pushed. Sorry for the, the abrupt editing. That was my editing ability right there. Because I just used a minute clip. In fact, if you go try to watch it later on YouTube, they'll probably blank that out because of the Vangelist music there, all right? But, um, but we're good. We're not, we're not getting any money off of this. So. Um, but here's the deal. Here's what Eric Little taught us out of that. Persistence. Now, persistence is costly. In fact, I understand that that was the last race he won that year. It so sapped his strength that he didn't win another race the enti- that entire year. Now he came back later, again, to win an Olympic medal. But that was one of the amazing things about his life. Even falling down, he came back and won that race. And so what I wanna teach us today is um, how the apostles in the book of Acts teach us to be persistent. So now, we, this is our, about our fourth message out of the book of Acts. So let's kinda recap what we've seen. So previously on Acts of the Apostles, All right, let's see what what went on there, okay? First, we find out in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives them the commission to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the entire world. And we're still in that first part where they're in Jerusalem. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. Then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and 3,000 people are saved. And Peter preaches his first sermon. Then we move to Acts chapter 3, and the lame man is healed, and they find their first persecution by the Sanhedrin, that ruling council of the Jewish people, <clears throat> and they had a bold response to it. And last week you looked at how the apostles taught us to be bold no matter what, to be bold, but today we're going to look at being persistent, and so let's, uh, now normally I'll read my scripture and then have prayer and then go into uh, you know, each, each point, but because we're going to look at the entire fifth chapter of Acts today, that's unusual for me to use that much scripture. So I'm gonna go ahead and lead us a word of prayer now, and then we're gonna look at each passage as we get to it, okay? Because that will help you uh, kind of pay attention better. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful again for the opportunity to worship today, Father. We're thankful for everybody who's gathered here with us. But Father, mostly we're thankful for your word. Father, for the, the, the fact that this was written so long ago, but you wrote it in such a way that it had meaning to the people of the first century. It has meaning to the people of the 21st century. And, Father, may your Holy Spirit speak to us through your word today. Not through my words, Father, but through the words of Scripture. And, Father, may we use this to understand, Father, how to love you better and to serve you better and to be more like Jesus every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we get into the book of Acts, the first thing I think we're going to see is that we need to be persistent when others disappoint you. I don't know if you guys are familiar with disappointment but the apostles were and let's talk about it here in acts chapter five starting with verse one but a man named ananias and his wife sapphira sold a piece of property however he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles feet now at the end of chapter four they talk about barnabas who we learn a lot about later sold a piece of property and did it, so some other people started doing it. Back in Acts chapter two, we, we saw that they were selling their property possessions and sharing them with anyone who might have need. And so this is just a part of that there. But Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep by part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You've not lied to the people but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and great fear came over all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, and carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came over the whole church and on all who heard these things. Now, first, don't panic. This is not a sermon on tithing, all right? Okay? Some preachers have used this for that. This is actually a bad example of this, okay? That, make, that makes us look like we serve a very mean and vindictive God, but, but I want you to know very carefully and very quickly the problem here, it says very clearly in this passage, was not that they kept back part of the price, but that they lied to the church about it. Okay? Now, again, this is a good passage to remember when you're thinking about writing your check to the church or, or, you know, or doing online giving or whatever, but we'll leave that for a different time, okay? We may talk about giving later. But, um, just want you to notice why they were punished, okay? They were trying to look good in front of the church and get credit for more than they deserved, and they lied about it, and that's why they were punished. Now, I want you to think for a moment, though, as we look at this. Now, Luke, we discovered, has a really strong flair for the dramatic and for humor also. Now, I'm not saying this part's funny. We'll see some of his humor later. This is a very dramatic thing where he just uses language that she dropped dead right there. And the irony, I'm an irony of it, but I don't know what the right words, the surprise of it, the suspense of it, when Peter says, hey, see these people coming to the door? They just buried your husband, you're next. Okay, now we can sort of feel a little bit, you know, maybe I heard some people giggling about that. It does seem a little funny because we're so used to seeing things like that on television. But now let's go back to what the, what the early church felt like. Imagine, it's a body of believers there and suppose somebody came up and they said you said you gave more to the church you said you did this and you didn't hey game over they died what would our reaction be oh my gosh for a lot of us they would be like i'm not playing this game anymore i'm going somewhere else this is too serious for me and there may have been some people who left over that either scared or not understanding what was going on You know, today there'd be like, you know, investigations, and there'd be business meetings called, and there'd be people trying to find out what happened, and blame this and blame that, but I think there were some people in the crowd that saw this, and they said, wow, that's disappointing. This is serious, but wow, how are we going to move forward when we've got people like that, that, and Ananias and Sapphira are one of the few of the early Christians that are named by name of the Bible. They may have been leaders in some ways, You know, they, they were probably more well-off than most of the church because most of the early Christians didn't own a lot of land, certainly not enough to sell. And they looked at this and they went, like, wow, there's a leader. There's somebody we knew. And they did this. I, I, I can't deal with this. This is, you know. But that's not what happened with most of the church. You know, as long as churches have people, there are going to be times that someone lets you down or disappoints you. Maybe it's someone you've been trying to disciple who decides to abandon you or abandon the church. I've seen that happen many times. My wife, over her ministry, has mentored several young women. That was a gift God gave her, and there was always a young woman in her life that, that came to her for mentoring. And I remember one young woman, I won't mention her by name, I think she may still live in the Fresno area, but very up-and-coming. She'd been. I had been her um her leader when she was in the youth group and as a young adult she was on the worship team and she was growing by great leaps and bounds and one day she walked into my wife's office and said uh i'm leaving the church and she said where are you going she goes i'm not going anywhere she had fallen in love with a non-christian who didn't want to have anything to do with the church and she chose him over jesus and it was crushing it was crushing And I can think of other times. A young woman I knew um, that I had known since she was eight years old, going into youth ministry, and I was mentoring her in youth ministry. And she decided to divorce her husband for right or wrong, I don't know. Whether she should or shouldn't have at that point. My tendency is to think (coughs) divorce is usually wrong, but I don't know her whole story. But I had invested, my wife and I both had invested so much in her, we we called her our third child for a while. And then when she divorced, remarried, and walked away from her church. And it's painful, it hurts. And I've seen churches where pastors have had to leave for cause of alcoholism, or where a staff member has fallen in sexual sin. Or I've worked with churches where self-centered members have run off a pastor who was helping the church grow and reach new people and make a difference in the community helping the church make a difference in the kingdom of God, but people didn't like what he was doing. and <clears throat> So they ran this pastor off. It's happened over and over and over again. As long as there are people in churches, there's gonna be people who are gonna disappoint you and let you down. There's gonna be problems like that, and it hurts. And I've seen times that churches haven't recovered from it. I know it, I'm thinking of one church in Southern California in particular that I had to, they've just closed their doors for all practical purposes, because there were people that just let them down, leaders that didn't lead in godly ways. It's gonna happen like this. And while we can look at the story, how Luke wrote it, and see irony in it, and see, and have a very poignant story, think about what it meant to that church, and how crushing it might have been to them. But now, let's look at what the church actually did. Let's go back to the scripture for a moment, okay? And let's look at starting with picking up in verse 12. And let's see how the believers responded. And this is right after that passage. This is the very next verse. And it says, Many signs and wonders are being done through the people, through the, uh, among the people, through the hands of the apostles. And they were all gathered together in Solomon's colonnade. That's the part of the temple where they met. It's the, the patio area, I guess. And it would be the coffee shop nowadays, okay? That kind of thing. And believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. And as a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets, lay them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now, it doesn't say necessarily they were all healed because of his shadow, but it just does say, in addition, a multitude came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now catch that? Here was how the church responded. We had a tough situation. That hurt. That was painful. That was sad for us to see. What did they do? They kept on preaching. They kept on gathering together. They kept on meeting needs. They kept on healing people. They just kept moving forward, doing the things that God had called them to do. Again, look at it again. They still met together. They kept ministering to people. They kept telling people about Jesus and the wonderful sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the only responsibility and the only proper response we have when something disappoints us in church or in our lives is that we keep on doing what God has called us to do and being whom God has called us to be as a church and as individuals. Now, we may not be a church where lame people are immediately healed. I think God still does healing I'm not sure he does it as often as we see on some of these, if there's still TV preachers out there on cable somewhere. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. That's not for me to judge. But we are a church that regularly sees the miracle of relationships being healed and people receiving forgiveness of their sins and giving their hearts to Jesus and their lives to him. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll trade that miracle for the miracle of walking any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Anytime I will give that we still have a job to do no matter how much we may have been hurt or Disappointed by someone in the past we need to be persistent in growing as Christ followers And in helping other people grow as followers of Jesus That's the first thing when people disappoint you the only thing you can do the only proper response is say I'm gonna go back to what Jesus told us to do we're gonna go out and preach the gospel, we're gonna go out and minister to people, we're gonna do as they said in Micah, to, 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 do, to love justice and righteousness and walk humbly with our God, that's what we're gonna do, that's what he has called us to be, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the only response when people disappoint you. But this church faced more than just disappointment from others, you gotta think when's it gonna stop well, probably when Jesus comes back, it kept going on for them. So the second thing we see in this passage is, passages, be persistent when circumstances are against you. <clears throat> Sometimes you can't blame somebody in particular. It's just things don't go right for you. All right, so let's look at this passage. that's picking back up in verse 17. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him who belonged to the party of the Sadducees. Remember, those were the people that really liked the Romans, they were doing well, they were the upper crust of Jewish society, and they were the predominant members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And he said, and they were filled with jealousy, so they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Wow. So there you go, there's actually, I guess you could blame the authorities for that, but it's just, you know, it's it's the society they lived in. The Sadducees were in charge, they didn't like anything that might bring the Romans down on them, that might cause problems there they wanted to keep the status quo going and jesus breaks the status quo and they did not like that so again what the passage before this things looking good for the church people respected them they spoke well of them people even sought them out for help but with the jewish leaders it was a different story the high priest ordered the apostles to be put into the public prison now maybe He was jealous or worried or something like that. Maybe he was worried the Romans would come, or maybe he was jealous that he was losing some of his authority. But for whatever reason, he said, this has got to stop. Put these guys in jail. Now, you may notice a similarity to what we talked about last week. Last week in chapter 4, Peter and John are thrown into jail. And some people think this might be the same story that that Luke got mixed up and was hearing two different sides of the same story. But it's not, because um, it wasn't just Peter and John this time. It was the apostles, maybe all of them. And it wasn't a private prison, a guard room in the, in the temple. This was a public prison, and it doesn't mean a public prison like one funded by the public. It means a public prison where people could see them. It was a prison of humiliation. It was a prison where they could be publicly seen, publicly punished. It would have been the equivalent of, you see, you know, if you read, you know, stories of the pilgrim stuff, the stockades, you know, where people had people out like that, or like the cross where it was on a public display, so they're here in this public prison, uh, as a place where they could make a public statement about, you see what happens, you follow Jesus, this is what happens to you right here, we're not putting up with this mess anymore. Now, I wish I could say this kind of stuff doesn't happen today, but it does, it happens even in Fresno where, well, you know, recently the community rose up against Adventure Church from its use of the tower theater. Now, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm not trying to actually condemn anyone at this point. I don't know all the details of the situation. I just know what I read in the Fresno Bee, and I can't imagine that that was balanced, but if you work, anybody here work for the Bee? Okay, if you did, I apologize, all right? Maybe maybe it is balanced, I don't know, but but, uh, so I'm not gonna call it persecution. But it's clearly a, clearly a case where the authorities were opposed to the work of a church. For right or for wrong, they were opposed to the work of the church. And even in our church, we're having to spend some time and money getting our children's ministry up to speed with some relatively new California laws. And it's frustrating. It's gonna take some energy. It's gonna take some, some time. It's gonna take, um, we may lose some children's workers because we gotta do background checks on all of you. Some, I've looked at our church, some of you may not pass the, pass the muster, I don't know. We'll see when that, when that comes. So, so we'll see what happens at that point. I actually know a church where the chairman of the deacon's wife refused to, get, to, to be fingerprinted. And they had to, it caused some problems in the church because I don't know what it was in her past she didn't want to know about, but they didn't want the church to know about, but she refused to be fingerprinted. And they came to me and I'm just like, I, you know what? I don't know if I can help you with that one, but. Um, so anyway, I know these kind of things still happen circumstances still get rough. Maybe not as rough as it was for the apostles, so I don't think we can bemoan our situation. They've not thrown Hunter and me into jail yet. There's still time, bud. We might make it yet, all right? So let's just keep praying, all right? So let's see how it goes. But how did the believers respond to this? Let's look again, pick up in verse 19. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. And hearing this, they enter the temple at daybreak and begin to teach. Wow. Again, now we can get hung up on the angel miraculous saving of that thing. And sometimes Jesus does save us miraculously, and sometimes he chooses not to. We don't know why God does the miracles sometimes and does not at others. That's something that's beyond our pay grade, okay? We don't, we don't get to understand all of that. Sometimes God lets us know, but sometimes we just have to trust in him. But the angel lets him out. By the way, this angel, it could have been an angelic, like we think of angels today, but the Greek word angel is just the word for messenger. So it might have been an angelic being floating down, you know, and, and flying in and unlocking, you know, touching the thing and unlocking and being this big message to the, to, the, um, to the apostles. But it could have been just a God follower, a Christ follower, who was on the inside that God had told him or her, go let them out and so somebody just so it could have been just so think about that way how much more difficult it would have been for the apostles just if somebody just says it's somebody they knew that let them okay go but listen i got a word for it from god don't go in hiding just go back out and preach again okay just do that i'm not sure they've been so so eager to do that if it just been a regular person doing it i don't know if i was having trouble here and jeremy said came up to me and said hey just lean into the trouble do it cause more problems I don't know if I'd believe believed, it. Stephanie, should I believe him if he says that to me? I don't know. So that, I don't answer that one out loud, all right? So, um, so for but whatever, whether it was a, uh, this, what we think of as an angel or just a human messenger, we don't know. But um, whatever case it was, the apostles went right back out and started their assignment. They didn't worry about the disappointment. They didn't worry about the attacks. They didn't worry about the fears. They just worried about the task of helping people and telling them about Jesus. What's the response when circumstances are against you? You go back out and you do the mission. You keep doing what God's called you to do. That's exactly what the apostles are teaching us right here. Now, we're going to take a little interlude for a moment. Um, have I? Is the timer over already? They've already gone 40 minutes? Oh, okay, wow. I'm just, I asked him to set a timer back there to try to, get, to, try to make sure I get down low, but I, okay. How far, how long have I I gone so far? Anybody, any idea? All right, keep preaching, all right, well, I know, but we've got some guests today, and I don't want them chase off, going like, I don't want somebody passing out from hunger or anything like that today, too, so, but I do want to get to this point right here. There's an interesting little interlude, all right? This is sort of a sidebar to my passage, but I don't want to skip it here, because I think this is one of the things I love about Luke. He does have a sense of humor and irony that we miss sometimes. So let's, let's kind of pick up here. I was going to skip over this passage because it doesn't fit my, my points, but I, it's just too good to pass up. So let's pick up back up in, uh, I think this is verse 22. It says, When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, that is the full council of Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in jail, so they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked.'" and the guards standing in front of the doors, but when he opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priest heard these things, they were baffled about them and wondered what would come of this. Now, catch this situation. All right. What is going on in these guys' minds at this point? Wait, we just locked them up, and they're not there, in it's slot. How did they, what is going on? You know, they're sitting there you know, I think they're looking like like a three-year looks when you go, "Hey, I got your nose." You know, they're like, "Huh? How did? The, what's happened here?" Okay, they're trying to, f- and the stuff that's going through their mind at this point, they're thinking, "Okay, wait a second. Do we have a mole in the organization? Did somebody let them out? Wait a minute, or did somebody else get through with it? Is this? Is this a bigger thing than we thought? Going on? Oh no! What if God did this? Is this? Wait, this cannot be. Uh, okay what all right okay I, I, I can't figure it out they're baffled by it i love that word baffled by it, wondering what would come of this well luke went right on and this is i love this humor of luke it says in verse 25 someone came and reported look the men you, you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people and then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them oh my gosh so you can imagine this, it'd be like a, like a Neil Simon play or something, okay, where these guys come in over here on this side going, we don't know where these guys are, they're gone, I don't have any idea where they are, and they're thinking of going, and then from this door come in some people going, hey, those guys you had in jail, they're right back out here in the temple, right, just right around the corner, right there. Because it said earlier, the apostles were there at daybreak preaching, and I imagine the Sanhedrin met not far from the temple, you gotta wonder, how did they miss it coming in? You know, so it's because they came in a little bit later and they missed it all together. They're sitting around confused and trying to figure out what it means. And then, boom, they get this story. And note that the temple guards had to ask the apostles to come along nicely. All right. Can you imagine that? It would be like if you, just, if you just saw, I don't know, Star Wars, Okay like you just saw people have a lightsaber battle and the winner standing there with his lightsaber still drawn. And you're like, um, hey, we'd love to come talk to you. Would it be okay? Would you, you know, you're gonna be real care- careful and cautious. It's that kind of thing going on there because of, of, they were afraid the crowd would turn on them. And now let's look again too, just in this interlude though, how the believers responded to this in verse 27. And after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Reminds me of arguments I've had with my wife, where I focused on totally the wrong thing. Boy, the high priest is missing it here too. He's not focused on the message of Jesus. He's going, Look at what you're saying about us. You're trying to make us guilty about this. The high priest was making it about himself, but Peter being bold again says Peter and the Apostles replied we must obey God rather than people and he goes on to say the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus whom by the way you had murdered by hanging him on a tree all right so man just take it in a little bit there Peter okay you killed him but God had different ideas God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and Savior to give repentance to Israel and, the for, and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. By the way, the Sanhedrin did not believe in spirits, angels or demons or anything like that. And so Peter's just digging it in with these, for these Sadducees that are on the, are in the Sanhedrin. So again, they sit here and they blame the apostles. They say the apostles are bela- blaming them for the Jesus' death. And Peter, by the way, this shows Peter was, the, was the really the first spokesman, says we must obey God rather than people. That's the answer to that charge of why you're teaching. And then to that second charge, if you're blaming us, Peter says, well, you did do it. You put him to death. And we noted last week that we're all responsible for Jesus' death because he died for us. It was our sins that took him to the cross. So let's be honest. It wasn't the Sanhedrin that put him to death. It was our sins. Let's just be honest about that. You know, not just yours alone, but the sins of the whole world. But we all had a part in it. We were all part of it there. But the Sanhedrin did have special responsibilities because they were the ones who handed him over to the Romans and asked for his death. And I got a couple of verses here I want to kind of show you that, okay? John 18, 31 and 32. He's talking, Jesus is talking to, to um, been meeting with, uh, Pilate and meeting with Jesus. And so Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. So Pilate gave them permission to put him to death, but the Jews were the ones who did it. It was the Sanhedrin that asked for it. And then in John chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus says, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. So Jesus is talking to Pilate, and he says, Pilate, you're messing up with this, but you know what? This is really the fault of the Jewish people who handed you over to me. Now, that's not to condemn all the Jewish people. They are no more guilty. All the Jewish people are no more guilty than we are. But the Sanhedrin had special guilt here with it, all right? So Peter basically says, you put him to death. But you know what? God used that to bring about something more powerful. So after that interlude, let's look at our last point for today. Our last point is, be persistent when others attack you. All right, so let's pick back up in verse 33. And again, I don't normally go through a whole passage this long, but I just wanted to be able to, there's just too much good stuff in here, all right, on persistence. So when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Well, I suppose so, all right. But a a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who's respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. And he said to them, and I'm going to skip a couple of verses here. He's scared, I'll tell you what he says here in a moment. But I tell you, stay away from these men, leave them alone, for if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. Now, I love this passage again. The, this, this passage says here, says that uh, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. The, the phrase there for enraged, basically says they were sawn in two all right it's like you've heard the phrase being beside yourself well this is even like that on steroids like being cut in two by this by these words that's how angry they were and so they were just frustrated by it and they they didn't know what to do um, they wanted to execute them and they almost did but then this guy gamaliel stood up now gamaliel was the grandson of Rabbi Hillel, who was one of the most respected teachers in all of, uh, Jeru- all of Judea- uh, J- Judaism at that time. He founded this big school for the rabbis. He was well-respected, he's mentioned in all sorts of Jewish literature at the time. And he was also, this Gamaliel was also Paul's teacher. He was the one who trained Paul in the rabbinical school. So he was really well-known. And he tells the story of these two other people who tried to leave an uprising against the Romans and failed and we could go into the details of that, it's not important, but one of them is well known, the other one isn't, but but after this he said, listen, these two things failed, and if you try to fight against this, you could be fighting against God. Now, to be honest, Gamaliel's advice isn't always good policy to follow, because we could say the same thing about some of the Christian cults that are out there today that are popular and haven't died out. We could say like, you know, theosophy or Or Christian science has been around for a long time, so maybe you know God's in it. You know, I don't think we could always say that. But in this case, it was God leading Gamaliel to spare the apostles at this point. He convinced the Sanhedrin not to kill the apostles. And so in verse 40 it says, After they called the apostles in, they had them flogged and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Now again, boy, there's an attack right there. Flogging. So how many of you would have come to church today if you knew there was going to be a flogging? All right? You'd gotten word that the uh, that the authorities were here or, or whoever was here and they were going to beat everybody who came to church. You can still come and worship, but you're going to get beaten on the way in. All right? I mean, some of you couldn't make it here if, like if if your coffee place wasn't open when you, you know, it's like, they didn't have the coffee. I'm just going home then. All right? I get that. All right. that right? I'd be tempted to do that too, but you can't do that when you're preaching. But... Uh, but I get that. But if it were flogging, I don't think any of you showed up today. Um, I'm not even totally sure if I would have or not. I'd have been praying about it a lot. I'd to admit. I'm hoping I would, but, um, but I'd have to be praying about that a good bit. I'll, I'll admit it. Um, so let's not get into that there. But they had them flogged. So how did they respond to this? Let's look at their response again. Verse 41. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted, that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name, being the name of Jesus. And then they went right back to the mission. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh my goodness. Even when you get a vicious attack, you still go back and do the mission. So Gamaliel saved them from being killed. But they did flog them. Now, we don't know how badly they did, but there's a good chance they got, basically, when these guys were wanting to kill them, it's pretty much they got the maximum flogging, which was 39 lashes. Because in Jewish thought, 40 lashes would kill somebody, so you give them 39 so you don't kill them. And just to let you know, that was usually 29 lashes across your bare back and then 13 lashes across your chest just to maximize the damage there. So they've gotten this kind of flogging, and then they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer shame for Jesus. Doesn't even say they were, saying they were worthy to suffer punishment, they just talked about it being the shame of that interesting phrase there, being humiliated. And they said, you know what, this was because I'm sure it was public, I'm sure it was open to everybody. I'm sure there were people cheering for the flogging as it went on. They said, you know what, God, thank you that you've counted us worthy of suffering this shame. Imagine what that said to the leaders. What do you do with these guys? You beat them to the fullest extent of the law, and they turn around saying, thank you. That was great. We appreciate it. God, you are wonderful and they go back to the rest of the people and they just again rejoicing and they kept on doing the things they were supposed to do. So there's really one point today. When things go bad for you, whether personally or whether for us as a group, what do you do? You go back to what God's called us to do. That early church faced several setbacks Peter and John were arrested, told not not to talk about Jesus. They replied, sorry, but we're going to keep doing it. Two members of the church died because they lied to the church. The group kept meeting every week, or every day maybe even. I think it was every day. Not that everybody showed up every day, but somebody showed up every day as that went. All the apostles are arrested. When they're set free, they go right back to the temple courtyard first thing in the morning and start preaching again. They're threatened with death. They said, we're not going to stop. They flog. They're flogged. They rejoice. What do you do with people like this? Because the early church could not be stopped, no matter what happened to them. So what does this mean for you today? Well, let's I to approach this on two levels, personal and on a corporate level as a church. First, keep praying for non-believing friends and looking, and keep looking for opportunities to share the message of Jesus. I think this is our most important takeaway right here. Don't ever give up on those who don't know Jesus. Be persistent with them, all right? We mentioned last week, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but you can continue to love people and look for an opportunity to share. I wanna encourage you all, if you, if you feel led and you can do it, to join us here on Wednesday nights. Actually, right here in this very spot right here, we join together for prayer and sharing Last Wednesday, we spent a good bit of time praying for lost people in our ch- you know that people know. I tell you, it's been, it was one of the most moving times for me since I've been at this church, just to be with a group of believers, praying for each other as we all know that we have friends, family, coworkers, neighbors who don't know Jesus, to be praying for them. Super important. Maybe some of them will come to know Jesus this week, Or this year, maybe some never will, but we're going to be persistent in praying for those who don't know Jesus. If you've got lost friends or family members or whatever, whether you choose to pray corporately with the church or not, be persistent in your praying for them. Second, stay dedicated to the mission of our church. Like many churches, we've had some difficult times in the past, and that's difficult for some people. I have met churches where there are people who just said, you know, I had invested years in that church and just this is too painful, I've got to go somewhere else. And I can't necessarily blame them for that, but I don't think that's the example the apostles have given us. They said, just keep trying, keep going. And so, if God has called you to stay your part of this church, stay committed, stay true to the mission we have. Our mission is to worship together just like the apostles did. Our worship is, our, our, our commission is to meet needs just like the apostles did. And we do that regularly at our church. In fact, don't we have Rescue the Children tonight for that? Okay. So if you're interested in being part of Rescue the Children, where we're working with the women there at that program, see Hunter at some point about it because I don't know enough about it. I've been to it. I don't know enough about it to how to, what you have to do to get into it and how it can be used or whatever. But see Hunter about that or be reaching wherever God sends you, Monday or Tuesday, if you have Monday off to work, to be still carrying out the mission of our church wherever God sends you. You know, we've had some, and then third, don't be discouraged by setbacks, distractions, or missteps. We've had some in the past, and we will have more in the future. In fact, I will make some of those myself, okay? It's good, you know, in the, in the months that I'll be with you, there's going to be times that you're going to say, I didn't like what he said there. I didn't think that was very nice, and hopefully we can talk it out. And if I'm wrong, I'll apologize for it. But if the story of Acts is any guide, and I think it is, or we wouldn't be preaching on it, we will face other hard times in the future, whether it be in the church, whether it be in our community, or whether it be in your own life. Nonetheless, we must be persistent and keep on going doing what God's called us to do. And last, don't let the past control the future. Right? Remember Philippians 3, 14, 13, and 14. We didn't, didn't put it on the screen here, but this is we preached on this a couple of weeks ago. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward, goal for the prize of the upward call of God. christ jesus no matter what's happened in the past i'm gonna not let that slow me down and i'm gonna look forward to the future to what god has called us to do we've made mistakes in the past we'll make some more but we can't let the mistakes in the past keep us from being bold and persistent let me put it this way our past does not control our lives jesus is the one who should be in control of our lives and through him He will move us forward to his call. The call of God through Christ Jesus. One last verse I want to share with you as we wrap up. Ephesians 6, 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And our real battle is not against our past mistakes, Or our past leaders our real battle is out there as we push back darkness we push back the darkness in the lives of those who do not yet know Jesus and those who struggle to find God's meaning in their lives this world needs us God has called us into this world now you say well he's called us out of this world yes called us out of this world to be his people he's called us into this world to serve the world needs us let's be persistent